This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Radio, the 21st day of October 2021. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Lots to get to and uh, not a good night in the city of Boston if you are a Boston sports fan. <laughs> the, uh, the Red Sox take one on the chin again. Um, and the, uh, the Celtics lose to the Knicks and the Bruins <laughs> lose to the Flyers. And, uh, the only saving grace was, is the Patriots weren't playing last night. <laughs> Although they're going to have their hands full this week as well. Uh, so, uh, we'll get to all that coming up in a minute. Uh, going to start this morning and saw this coming a mile away. And I said it the other day, um, when uh, the decision was made to fire Nick Rolovich, the head coach at Washington State University, uh, his attorney announced yesterday, uh, his attorney's name is uh, Brian Falling, announced that Rolovich does intend to take legal action uh, against the state of Washington and against Washington State University, um, as well as uh, going right after the athletic director in saying that uh, uh, basically that uh, – uh, the AD had it out for him and was against his uh, what he characterized as his sincerely held religious beliefs. So Rolovich and his four assistants were fired on Monday because they did not comply with the governor mandate that all state employees be vaccinated. Um, uh, 1,800 workers across the state of Washington were either fired, resigned, or retired because of the mandate. You know, I mean, come on. But again, we've had this conversation and it's you've got a choice. You get vaccinated or you find another job. You know, you don't like it. Find another job. You know, you don't like the fact that uh, when you work at McDonald's, you got to wear their uniform. Well, work somewhere else. It's the same thing. And I know you can say, well, it's my body. You know what? I'm sorry, folks. I'm, I'm tired of people using that argument. When the science has proven this thing is safe and uh, it is a duty to get it done as far as I'm concerned, and I'm tired of t to talking about this. And here's the part that really pisses me off. Rolovich is, is, is Catholic. So he is using his Catholic faith as the reason not to get vaccinated. However, ladies and gentlemen, the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, the Pope, as well as the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops have said that getting the COVID-19 vaccine is morally acceptable. Not only is it morally acceptable, the Pope has said that it is a Catholic's duty, responsibility, and obligation to be vaccinated. 
the leader of your church has said it is your duty to get vaccinated. So how do we still have people using their faith as Catholics for a reason not to get vaccinated? This is just a simple case of wanting to be a contrarian. Because I'm telling you what, if you stick a gun to most of these people's heads and say and, and make them tell you the truth, that do you really think that this vaccination is going to do harm to you? Most of them would say no, or they would they wouldn't know because they haven't done. They all they got to do is read, do some research. I did. You know, I'm not one. I don't. I don't like prescription drugs, folks. I don't want to take prescription drugs. Part of the reason why I dropped a whole bunch of weight is because I was borderline hypertensive. I was borderline diabetic, and I knew if I didn't do something, I was going to end up on prescription medications, and I didn't want that. Now I don't need them. When my cholesterol got high, I was on a prescription drug for about six months and didn't like what it did to me. I didn't like the, you know, the, I had a statin drug. I didn't like the leg cramps. I didn't like the things it did to me. So you know what I did? I changed my diet. I started taking uh, fish oil. I started doing things and eating things that would help my cholesterol. Guess what? It worked. So I am not one to rush out and get you know, the latest drug. I don't believe in better living through chemicals. So I didn't take getting this vaccine lightly. You know, I, I did my research and I, I wanted to be smart about it, and I was. So for Nick Rolovich, the head coach at Washington State University, to say that his Catholic face faith prohibits him from getting vaccinated is a crock of crap. If the Pope and the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops say that it's your duty, responsibility, and obligation to be vaccinated, well, how does that jive with the argument that you're trying to throw up here? Now, if you want to argue that maybe the state of Washington is using this mandate as and your refusal to get vaccinated as a reason to get rid of you because you're the highest paid state employee at 3.2 million dollars you might have a bigger you might you might have a bigger uh, argument there but it's not about the fact that you're catholic that has nothing to do with it when 99 percent of the state employees in the state of washington get vaccinated and you got a handful of bulletheads who don't. Same thing here in the state of Connecticut when you got a handful of people that won't. Look, you got to go. Find another job. So he's suing. I don't think he has a snowball's chance in hell. However, look, we're going to see this come down the pike. No chance, no doubt about it. You know, with, uh, with President Biden's mandate that, you know, companies over 100 employees mandate vaccines look what's going on around the country where we have cops you know uh, if, you know in some cities it's 50 50 as to whether they'll get vaccinated or not you have nurses we have 40 percent of the nurses or 35 percent of the nurses around the country who haven't gotten vaccinated are you kidding me you know we have ems workers not getting vaccinated these are people that are supposed to be saving people's lives and yet they're not going to get vaccinated and run around with a bigger chance of of 
transmitting the COVID virus because they're not vaccinated. And these are the people that are supposed to be protecting the public. These nurses are supposed to know better. 99% of the doctors, 65% of the nurses vaccinated. What's wrong with this picture? You know, I'm just, it's ja. So when I saw Rolovich was suing, I wasn't surprised, but Jesus, God almighty. He should be fired. All right, enough. Sorry, just had to get it out. But again, I knew it was coming. Knew it was coming. All right. uh, On a worse note, (laughs) if you're a Boston Red Sox sports fan, that Red Sox game last night uh, was tough to watch. Now, for the first five innings, it was fun to watch. It was a great pitcher's duel. Uh, Chris Sale was as good as we have seen him since he came back from Tommy John surgery for those first five innings. The only mistake was a, a home run hit to the opposite field by Jordan Alvarez. I mean, at the end of the day, Chris Sale pitched five and a third innings, gave up three hits. They were all, all to Jordan Alvarez, which is a problem, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. And Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros, who got lit up uh, in game one, was nothing short of brilliant yesterday. Eight innings. One run on three hits, struck out five, walked one, and he was a ground ball machine. Red Sox didn't make solid contact hardly all night. It was, you know, I mean, he was great. Now, people are killing Alex Cora today, the manager of the Red Sox, for not taking Chris Sale out in the sixth inning. And I'm telling you, you know, I, I get the argument. However, you know, this is one of these these arguments that I hate having because I sound like the old man get off my lawn thing. But everybody is talking about third time around the lineup, third time around the lineup. You got to get him out. You got to get him out. We played baseball for 100 years. 100 and, uh, 140 years. Nobody worried about the third time around the lineup. Guys still went seven, eight innings, and Jesus, they were pretty good. But now all of a sudden, you know, in the 2000s, pitchers are idiots because they're not able to, they're obviously not able to handle uh, players the third time around. Here's the problem. Last night, I don't have a problem with Alex Cora leaving Chris Sale in to face Jordan Alvarez the third time. Why? Well, a couple of things. Number one is Chris Sale. He was dealing Number two, Jordan Alvarez is a lefty. Chris Sale is a lefty. You want that matchup. You want the lefty-lefty matchup. Okay, I get it. Jordan Alvarez had faced Chris Sale in this series three times. He's got three hits before that at-bat last night, the last one. I get it. I have the bigger problem last night with pitch selection. I blame... Christian Vasquez, the catcher. If you look at the replay of all three hits by Jordan Alvarez, hey, guess what? They were all on the same pitch. They were all fastballs on the outside part of the plate, and Jordan Alvarez went the other way with it three times. It was good hitting by Jordan Alvarez. How about Christian Vasquez? How about you do this? 
How about the third time you face him? How about you do something different? How about we throw a slider low and away or we throw a change up? We do something to take this guy off his game a little bit instead of throwing the same goddamn pitch. Pardon my language. Seriously, do something different. You know, so, and, and it was made worse. You know, look, he walked He walked Jose Altuve, who he had struck out twice already, you know, the first two times around. He walks him on five pitches to start the inning. Then Kyle Schwarber commits an error at first base because he's so worried about Altuve running the bases, he takes his eye off the ball and drops the ball at first base. So then, you know, it's compounded with an error. So now you got runners on first and third, nobody out. Look, Chris Sale does a great job there. You know, he gets Alex Bregman to hit the ball back to the mound. And now Alvarez is up. You've got runners on the corners, one out, lefty on lefty. Look, it's Chris Sale. It's the lefty-lefty matchup you want. If you get a ground ball, you get a double play, you're out of the inning. But again, we threw the same pitch. And after the game, Alex Cora said, look, he's Chris Sale. He's a lefty. He has made a living getting lefties out. And he is absolutely right. I have no problem with it. People want to dump on Alex Cora. Go ahead. I don't have a problem with it. You know, the other thing last night that people were killing Cora for was last there was a, a situation last night when the Red Sox got the first two guys on. It was in the uh, the fifth inning. Rafi Devers singles. They finally got a hit. And then Valdez hits J.D. Martinez with a pitch. So you've got two on and nobody out. Hunter Renfro's up. Now, Hunter Renfro has been awful in the ALCS. I get it. But this guy also hit 33 home runs during the regular season. He also hit about 260. All right, this isn't a guy that, you know, couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. Okay, let's start with that. That's number one. But people are yelling, why didn't Alex Cora have Hunter Renfro bunt there? And my answer to that is Hunter Renfro has exactly zero sacrifice bunts in his career. He's been in Major League Baseball for six years. He has zero sacrifice bunts. So why in a playoff game, in a high-pressure situation, are you going to have a guy bunt who has not successfully bunted his entire career? The answer is you're not. Calling for a bunt there is not the right play. Now, he ends up grinding into a double play. So people are going to say, well, how much worse could it have been if he had tried to bunt? Well, he could have bunted into a double play. That's the, number one. Here's where I have the problem. I don't have a problem with him not bunting. Okay, that's, that's not an issue for me. I have the bigger problem with the following. Two on, nobody out. Jordan Alvarez has just hit J.D. Martinez with a pitch, and then he throws two straight balls to Hunter Renfro. So it's two on, nobody out, and a 2-0 count to Hunter Renfro. This guy, Valdez, is on the ropes. He has not been throwing strikes all of a sudden. After he was brilliant 
didn't allow a base runner uh, for the first four innings. All right? So my problem is this. It's two balls and no strikes. Take a strike. Instead, Hunter Renfro swings at the 2-0 pitch and grounds into a double play. Take a damn strike. It's just baseball IQ. Look, they teach you when you are young, if the pitcher is struggling, make him throw strikes. So he's given up a single. He's hit a batter. Now he's thrown two balls. He's struggling. Take a strike. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and take two strikes and all of a sudden make it a 2-2 count, but take one strike. Maybe on the 2-1 pitch, he throws another wild one. Now it's 3-1. and one. You know, all I'm saying is you got to be patient out there. That was the other part of what was driving me nuts with the Red Sox last night. When you look at the fact that Alvarez is, or I mean, Valdez is cruising and the Red Sox keep swinging early in the count. I think he threw, you know, nine pitches in the first inning. He went through four innings. He had thrown 45 pitches. Jesus, we watch games where guys are throwing 45 pitches in two innings. So the Red Sox are out there all of a sudden and just swinging at everything, and they're not being patient. I want to see Hunter Renfro take a strike. I'm sorry. So I have a bigger issue with that. So, you know, so you want to kill Cora for not taking sale out. You want to kill Cora for not bunting. You know, at the end of the day, folks, and I say this all the time when, when managers get fired, players play. You know, and, and you know, managers take heat for, for crap that players do. It's not Alex Cora's fault that Kyle Schwarber made an error at first base last night. You know, and then they were saying, well, you should have walked, you know, you should have walked Alvarez. If you don't take him out, you walk him to load the bases and set up the double play. No. You know, again, why are you going to load the bases? It's a one nothing game. You know, so to me, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it's always easy to second-guess everything after it happens. Now, I know a lot of these people were, were not second-guessing. They were saying it right in the beginning. But at, look, Alex Cora, in postseason play, since becoming the manager of the Red Sox, ladies and gentlemen, is 16-5 and five, or 16-6. and six. He has won 16 of the 22 playoff games that the Red Sox have played since he's become the manager. So what, all of a sudden he became an idiot? You know, this is the problem that I have. People get so freaking negative so quickly if something doesn't go right and everybody else is smarter than Alex Cora. Hey, let me tell you something. When it comes to baseball, you're not smarter than Alex Cora, period. But it's pitch selection. Christian Vasquez, you know, call a different pitch against Jordan Alvarez. Please. You know, Hunter Renfro, just take a pitch. That's all I'm asking. You know, be smart. You know, and and the Red Sox, you know, are locked in with Kyle Schwarber at first base. And, and by the way, I got to admit, I'm not sure why. He hit a grand slam. That's all he's done. He had one grand slam home run in this series. He's hitting like 150, Okay. You know, it's not like the guy's tearing the cover off the ball. You know, Bobby Dahlbeck started 111 games at first base, and he's a much better defensive first baseman than Kyle Schwarber. I get that you want to get him in there. I get it. 
you know, but maybe it's time, you know, and, and you know, to, to give Bobby Dahlbeck a start. Something. You know, this Red Sox team that was scoring runs to beat the band all of a sudden can't hit its way out of a out of a paper bag. Look, the series isn't over. All right. I mean, it's you know, everybody's like, you know, you would have thought after the game last night and the, the final score. I mean, look, they got beat nine to one. They got their asses beat. I mean, there's no no ifs, ands or buts about that. But the series isn't over. They're down three games to two. They're going back to Houston. They've got to win two in a row. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But guess what? It did in 2018. When the Red Sox went to the World Series and beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. Guess what? That's right. They were down three games to two going back to Houston and the Red Sox won them both. So. Doesn't mean this series is over. Nate Evaldi's going to get the start in game six on Friday. Now, he pitched in relief on Tuesday through 24 pitches in relief, but he'll be fine. Uh, you know, Evaldi's a guy that's done it before. Uh, he likes the workload. He'll be fine. So he will get the start in game six. Uh, Dusty Baker hasn't named a starter, but it's likely to be Jose Orchidi. He got the loss in game three. He was awful got torched but again I can't read too much into that because uh, uh, Alvarez was awful in game one and look what he did against the Red Sox last night so it's liable to be Evaldi against Urquidy on game six and uh, if necessary we'll go to a game seven on Sunday you know look it's not over and let's remember again this Red Sox team has been counted out before the season even started they weren't supposed to be a playoff team then they weren't supposed to beat the Yankees in the wild card game. They were heavy underdogs there. They weren't supposed to beat the Tampa Bay Rays in the division series. They were heavy underdogs there too. Guess what? Made the playoffs, won the wild card, won the division series. They were supposed to get hammered in this series. I was one of them and said, I hope they make a good showing. You know what? They've made a good showing. And now I'm greedy. Now I want to see them win it. But at the end of the day, don't count this team out. You just can't. You do so at your own peril. So, uh, Rafi Devers accounted for the only run for the Red Sox last night. Had a home run in the seventh inning. It was his eighth homer, by the way, in 25 games in postseason. Uh, only David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, and Jason Ferretek have more home runs uh, in 25 postseason games, through 25 postseason games, than Rafi Devers. And Rafi Devers is going to be 25 on Sunday. I mean, this team. Uh, you know, they're way ahead of schedule. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year. You know, think about that. You know, uh, they've got some holes they got to fill. They're going to do some work in the offseason. Uh, this team could be scary good next year. But this year's not over yet. So I think that uh, I think they win game six, and then, you know, we see what happens in seven because I don't know. You know, it's probably going to be Erod on short rest in game seven, but. You know, who knows? Who knows? It's 28 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk about the Dodger game last night. That one was ugly, too. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. It is 31 minutes past the hour. By the way, the quote of the night uh, from that Red Sox game last night, Chris Sale, after the game when he, he was interviewed, has said, and I quote, I left my nuts out on the mound tonight. That's for damn sure. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you got to love him. You know, I, look, the one thing I love about Chris Sale, and, and the other thing he said last night, he says I was I was great. 
for five innings and I sucked for one. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I love about Chris Sale is he is not afraid uh, to call himself out and he is not afraid to say what's on his mind. I left my nuts out on that mound last night. That was beautiful. Uh, the other series in the National League, the Atlanta Braves are now a game away uh, from the World Series. They beat the Dodgers last night 9-2. to two. They now have a 3-1 series lead in the NLCS. It was Eddie Rosario again. Eddie Rosario with two home runs last night. He had his second four-hit game of the NLCS and uh, the Braves used uh, six different pitchers. Uh, only allowed four hits, and they win it 9-2. to two. Now, before you get too excited, if you're a Braves fan, let's remember you were up 2-0 on the Dodgers last year. You were up 3-1 on the Dodgers last year. And the Dodgers still went to the World Series. So this isn't over, but this, this to me might be, you know, and as great as the Red Sox run has been this year and as improbable as it has been this year, to me, and and, and as great as the uh, uh, run was by the San Francisco Giants, that was even more improbable. To me, what the Atlanta Braves have done after losing Marcelo Zuna, who was supposed to be your starting left fielder to the domestic violence issue, and then losing Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the top you know, five or six players in Major League Baseball to an injury, to have Alex Anthopoulos and that organization retool itself and make trades and bring in players the way that they did to finish the way that they did and get to the position they are in now, that is the story of the year. I mean, and let's remember, Freddie Freeman, the first month of the season, the reigning National League most valuable player, hit under 200. But you have to give this team a lot of credit. They went out and they got Adam Duvall from the Miami Marlins, and they got Eddie Rosario, the guy who has been the hero of this series so far. They got Eddie Rosario back on July 30th at the trade deadline. Um... Eddie Rosario was a guy that was in Minnesota and the twins decided uh, that, you know, he wasn't worth it. And they were going to, they were going to move on from Eddie Rosario, which I still don't understand, but be that as it may, they move on. They trade him to Cleveland. Cleveland is out of it. So they're going to get what they can. So they trade Rosario to the Braves in this series. Eddie Rosario was 10 for 17 with two homers and six runs batted in, uh, in the postseason. He is hitting 467. He's 14 for 30. I mean, this guy has been unconscious. This guy is doing what Kike Hernandez did for the first three games of this series and what he did at the end of the division series. Kike Hernandez is, was the story for the Red Sox. Eddie Rosario has been the story uh, for the Braves. Uh, Freddie Freeman also had a home run last night. Adam Duvall had a home run and uh, just an ass kicking. Uh, they went with the opener. Jesse Chavez got the start, picked, pitched the first inning. Drew Smiley came on, and look, he gave him what he could. He was all right. He gave up a couple of runs, uh, but he only gave up two hits, went three and a third, and then they bring in uh, Martin. Allen Minter came in, or A.J. Minter came in. Tyler Matzik came in, and then Will Smith finished it off. Um, 
Julio Urias, who had won 20 games this year, pitched in relief the other day. They bring him in to start this game, and he was shelled. Lasted five innings, gave up eight hits, five runs. Of the eight hits, three of them left the ballpark. Struck out three, walked a couple. Uh, Look, he hadn't gotten his ass kicked like that uh, very often. It's just the second time in his career that he's allowed three homers in a game. And that was in his second major league game back in 2016. So this was unusual. You know, uh, and then, uh, you know, they managed to keep it close. They got it back within uh, uh, three at five to two. But then uh, Tony Gonsolin just uh, gave up the ghost, and that was the end of that, and he, the Braves win this easily. Look, you know, here's the thing. Uh, the big-time bats for the Dodgers, invisible last night. Their first five hitters, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, Will Smith, Gavin Lux, a combined 0 for 17 last night. You know, I mean, you're not going to win games like that. Uh, now, you know, the other thing about the Dodgers, and like I said, I've already detailed what they did last year. You know, this Dodger team has won six consecutive elimination games dating back to last year. So every time they've been on the brink of being eliminated, they have found a way to win. Um, so we'll see. Now, the other big news from last night, and it happened late in the game, Justin Turner, the Dodger third baseman, is done for the year. He uh, tore his hamstring last night, yelled out in pain, and that was the end of it. And he will not be back uh, for the Dodgers for the rest of this series. And if they go to the World Series, he is done. That is a big loss. No question about it. Um, Probably means, I would guess, Chris Taylor probably plays third base. I would guess. I mean, they could also put Gavin Lux at third base, I suppose. You know, or move the their other infield pieces around, but that is a big loss, uh, losing Turner for the rest of the series. So game five is tonight, and it'll be Max Freed getting the start for the Atlanta Braves. And this is going to be a big start for Freed. Look, Freed's twenty seven years old, but he's from Santa Monica. He went to high school. He went to Harvard Westlake High School in Los Angeles. So this is, uh, you know, it may be at Dodger Stadium. But this is like a home game for him. He's going to have tons of family and friends there. Uh, he pitched in game one. He allowed just two runs over six innings. Got a no decision. But he's 1-0 with a 1-5 ERA in his two playoff starts this year. He has struck out 14 and has not walked anybody in 12 innings. So uh, that is a, uh, a big start for him tonight with a chance to, uh, to knock the Dodgers out of it. So, again, but don't count them out. We saw what happened last year. Uh, Some other baseball news. Uh, The Milwaukee Brewers have fired their hitting coach, Andy Haynes. Uh, They scored just a total of six runs, uh, losing to the Braves in that uh, that division series. So uh, they have fired their hitting coach. They're also uh, letting their assistant hitting coach go as well. Um, You know, know, look, (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, I never, I, I get it, I get it. Somebody's got to take the blame, but it's just like a manager getting fired. Uh, sometimes it's, it's like, look, you know, the Braves pitched well, you know, and sometimes you just have to tip your cap. You know, it's kind of like the Red Sox last night. The kid for the Houston pitched really well. Now you can argue about whether Hunter Renfro should have taken a, a strike on a two zero count or whatnot, but overall, uh, uh. He pitched well last night. Well, you know, when the Braves went and played the Milwaukee Brewers, they were dominant, you know, and it's not, you know, this, this is a Brewers team, you know, that won 90 plus games this year and was scoring a lot of runs. It's not like they suddenly forgot how to hit, you know, you, you know, baseball is one of those games. That's why you play so many games that, you know, things even out and you're going to have slumps, but Andy Haynes is going to take the hit. And uh, he is out as the hitting coach for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Mets announced that Carlos Carrasco had surgery to remove a bone fragment from his pitching elbow. Um, it's not Tommy John surgery or anything like that. but uh, And so he'll be able to resume uh, pitching uh, or some baseball activities this winter. He'll be ready for spring training. Uh, but Carrasco came over to the Yankees uh, along with Francisco, I mean the Yankees, to the Mets in that trade for Francisco Lindor. Uh, he tore his hamstring during spring training, didn't even start for the Mets until July 30th, and then struggled after that. He was 1-5 with an ERA over 6-12 and 12 starts. So you knew he wasn't right right from the get-go. Um, he's under contract uh, next year for $12 bucks, And then there's a team option for $14 million bucks in 2023. Uh, the, the option, by the way, becomes guaranteed if he pitches 170 innings next season and he's still healthy. Um, and now with this surgery getting done, there is a chance that Carrasco, maybe, I don't know if he can give him 170. I don't, you know, I don't know how many guys are going to pitch 170 anymore. You know, the normal, if you pitch like every fifth day during the course of a season, you're going to make 31, 32 starts. Well, this day and age, if a starter goes five innings, you're lucky. Right, so even if he started every fifth day throughout the entire season, he only gets to 160 innings if he averages five innings a start, which is about what guys do now, if that. But at least it will give him a shot, and uh, you know, and look, and if you're the Mets, and he reaches that 170, that means he pitched great, and you're, you'll be more than happy to only have to pay him 14 million in 2023, because that's uh, that's chump change. For a frontline pitcher these days, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't call Carrasco a frontline pitcher anymore, considering that he's 34 years old and you know uh, he's a cancer survivor, which is great. And his better days are probably behind him. But hell, you know, if if he can go out and give him 150, 160 innings, you know, and pitch to an ERA, you know, under four, 14 million bucks is a bargain. How about that? It's like that monopoly money. Um, and then the. Uh, we didn't get to talk about this yesterday because we had some hardware issues. That's why we weren't on yesterday. Um, the Yankees have decided to uh, give Aaron Boone a new three-year deal, so he will be back as manager of the Yankees uh, through the 2024 season. A lot of Yankee fans not happy about that, but as I said uh, on the air and I've said you know, in other places, Aaron Boone is not the problem with the New York Yankees. You know, he's not. I mean, it's not Aaron Boone's fault that guys are getting hurt every other day. You know, the Yankees can't stay healthy. 
And it's not Aaron Boone's fault that the front office gave him a very unathletic roster. I mean, when you look at this roster, th- these are not great athletes. Look, look at, uh, you know, I mean, you could say Aaron Judge is, but John Carlos Stanton, you know, can't get out of his own way anymore. Luke Voigt, who was playing first base, is not athletic. You know, uh, you know, a lot of, Gary Sanchez is a horrible defensive catcher, and he is not a great athlete, folks. You know, Brett Gardner is 112 years old. He is no longer a great athlete. His better days are long behind him. And you look at all these guys that this this team relied on all year, if they were even healthy, and it's a wonder in some cases, you know, and then all the injuries to the pitching staff on top of that, it's a wonder that they did as well as they did, that they won 92 games and, and made the playoffs. You know, and for a lot of teams, they'd be thrilled to make the playoffs. But, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees, and their fans are spoiled, and they expect to win a world championship. Guess what? They haven't won a world championship in 12 years. How much do you think Red Sox fans enjoy the fact that, you know, <laughs> they've they've won like four of them since the Yankees won their last one? You know, I mean, so, but, you know, so, you know, Yankee fans expect to win. And they did win. I mean, good Lord, 92 wins, and they made the playoffs. You know, and it's the one-game wild card. If it was a, you know, best two out of three in the wild card, you know, maybe they beat the Red Sox. I don't know. But Brian Cashman's the one that should be held accountable here, and I think he's gotten a pass. You know, I think some of the guys that, that he has put on that team just just are the wrong fit. You can't have a whole lineup full of guys that aren't good athletes. You know, and so th- th- there has to be a change there, but it seems that, you know, I think Cashman's going to be the GM till he dies because Hal Steinbrenner seems to love him. So, you know, but now Cashman has said that he's not planning on wholesale changes. He says, but improvements necessary. Oh, you think? But he said he does not plan on making huge changes. Well, I don't know. You better think about it. You know, and I, I would not be at all surprised if there are some bigger names moved by the Yankees, maybe whether they're in a trade or whether, you know, they're probably going to go out. I think Corey Seager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who's a free agent, the shortstop, is going to be target number one for the Yankees, and they will open up the Brinks truck to try to get Corey Seager to come to New York. It'll be a good start. There's no question about that. Although Corey Seager has had issues with injuries as well, uh, he would be a huge upgrade for that team. But Cashman says uh, no wholesale changes. So I don't know, Yankee fans, buckle up. You better, you know, again, at the end of the day, you know, you better hope when this new season starts that Severino is healthy, Domingo Herman stays healthy, Zach Britton's able to come back out of that bullpen that. Uh, you know, that Aroldis Chapman still has something left because he was about as unpredictable as it gets. I mean, there there are still a lot of question marks in that lineup and in that bullpen and in that pitching, the starting pitching staff. But, uh, you know, Cashman says no big changes. We'll see. It's 47 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Celtics and the Bruins. We'll just, we'll just finish out with with really even worse news. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. Uh, beautiful day here in the Northeast. It's going to be 75 degrees on October the 21st. Still haven't had a frost. We are way behind schedule, but I will take it. Um, of course, so uh, we are winding things down. We this has been like a revolving door. We've got uh, three more showings today on the house. Uh, supposedly, there's a couple of offers getting ready to roll in. So uh, things are things are moving, and and hopefully here in the next uh, few weeks, I'll be talking about the weather down in uh, North Carolina and not the weather up here in the Northeast. But we'll take it. 75 degrees towards the end of October. It's beautiful. Uh, what was not beautiful last night was the ending to that Celtics New York Knicks game. Now, you know, if you're a basketball fan, great game. Celtics end up losing to the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden, 138-134 in double overtime. The story of this game, even though the Celtics lost, the the story of this game is Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is just coming off the COVID list. He had COVID. There was questions as to whether he was even going to play the game. He spent most of the last 10 days in quarantine. Not only did he play the game, he played 46 minutes and scored a career-high 46 points. I mean, he was unconscious. He was great. Who wasn't great? Jason Tatum, you know, <laughs> who played so great for the U.S. Olympic team. And and as Tatum said after the game, you know, I guess I'm going to have one of these a year. Let's hope this is the last one. And we've got 81 more to play. But Tatum, he had 20 points and 11 rebounds. You know, when you look at that, and you go, well, it's not bad. He was 7 for 30 from the field. He hit like 20% of his shots. He was 2 for 15 from three-point range. Hey, not for nothing, and I say this all the time, and, and this is the old basketball coach in me, and I know the NBA is different than when I coached in high school and college, but it gets to a point when you have to say to the kid, stop shooting the three. Stop shooting. You know, and I know, again, I know the NBA is different. I know these guys have egos the size of the state of Texas. But when you're two for 15 and you couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a handful of rice, it's time to stop shooting the ball. Give it to somebody else. Good Lord. But they got torched last night by um, a former teammate, Evan Fournier, who was with the Celtics last year, hits a go-ahead three-pointer in the second overtime. He had 32 points against his former team. Julius Randle had 35 for the Knicks. But Evan Fournier... 32 points against the Celtics. He made three threes in the first minute and a half of the overtime. <laughs> I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, the Celtics were able to match that. And, you know, uh, nobody scored in the final three minutes of the first overtime. So they ended up having to go to a second one. And that's a great win for the Knicks, you know. And, and if you're a Celtics fan, you know, you were hoping that, you know, this year might be different. You know, and this is only game number one, so we don't want to push the panic button. There's a lot more to play. New coaching staff, you know, who knows? Hopefully it's going to be a different rotation. But, of course, you know, Celtic fans are going like, oh, here we go again. You know, but this isn't some joke Nick team. This, that's a Nick team, folks, uh, that 
won 41 games last year. You know, so it's not like, uh, you know, this is a team without talent. And then they added Evan Fournier. Oh, and by the way, uh, Kemba Walker, now a Nick. Now, Kemba Walker had a three early, didn't do much the rest of the game, had a couple of, actually, a couple of uh, turnovers late in the game. Um, but, you know, so a couple of guys that used to play against the Celtics get a win against the Celtics. 138-134 in double overtime. Uh, the Celtics will be back at it on uh, Friday. Uh, they will get their home first home game of the season uh, as they will host the Toronto Raptors uh, at TD on Friday. Uh, the Bruins, um, horrible third period last night. They got beat 6-3 by the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers with three goals in the third. It looked the Bruins did a great job. They were down 3-1. And uh, Taylor Hall scored uh, in the second. And then uh, Brad Marchand scored his third goal of the season already uh, in the final minute of the second period to tie it up at three. So you felt pretty good about things. Jeremy Swayman hadn't been great in goal, but you still felt pretty good about it. Uh, But uh, only 58 seconds into the third period, uh, Cam Atkinson uh, scores, and it's 4-3 Flyers. Atkinson ended up with two goals in this game. Swayman uh, only stopped 22 of the 27 shots he saw last night. He was really good in the opener, but not so good last night. Uh, Look, you know, that Flyers team was really good. Their forecheck, brutal. The Bruins had a hell of a time just trying to get the puck out of their own end at times. You know, I was very impressed with this Flyers team. And, look, the Bruins handled the Flyers pretty well last year. The Flyers were 2-4-2 and against the Bruins last year. But last night, they really, really took it to Boston. You know, Boston, look, they had a tough, tough, a tough start to the season. Why? They had 10 days between the end of the regulars or the end of the preseason and the, their first game. The NHL season started, and it wasn't until three or four days after the regular season started that the Bruins had their first game. You know, and then uh, they hadn't played since Saturday, so they had like another three days off before they play again. Uh, now they will play on Friday at Buffalo, but I think you know part of this whole thing is don't forget there's a lot of new na- a lot of new people there. You know, and the lines have been mixed up a little bit. Defensive pairings mixed up a little bit. You've got a couple of goaltenders. You know, without uh, Tuka Rask there, things are a little bit different in goal as well. These guys need some regular work. So hopefully, now getting back to the regular part of the schedule. Uh, they'll be able to get things rolling. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Dan Zampano is going to join us tomorrow to talk NFL football, so hope you can join us for that. We leave you with some music from Keith Urban this morning. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.